Galatians chapter 5 is where we've been for the last uh, few weeks and where we'll be for the next couple of weeks. So if you have your Bible, you can turn there. Otherwise, you can look ahead to the screen here. I want to read verses 16 through 26. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. And the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other. To keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, Strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I have warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Paul, uh, in Galatians, is talking to a group of Christians. He's talking to Christians who know Christ and yet have a distance between them and Christ. They know the Lord, they have history with God, and um, there's more and more space between what they know about God, how they experienced God, and where they are right now. And what Paul does in this letter is he presents a truth over and over again about freedom in Christ, about how God redeems us or breaks our relationship from our past, breaks our relationship from the past laws that have governed our lives and offers us a splendid uh, future. Paul, over and over in this letter, is is trying to uh, uh, present or represent to these believers a God who makes in us what God himself is. So these Christians are not unfamiliar with the language of love or joy or patience or faithfulness or kindness. They're familiar with it. They know Jesus Christ. They have a sense of what these things mean, which is why Paul doesn't go into defining these words. They get what the language is, but they need him in his apostolic way to come and say, remember that who God is, is what God makes you to be. 
God is love and God makes you to love. God is good and God makes you good. If we're looking then for a list of God's qualities, we don't need to look at a systematic theology. We can start with uh, Galatians 5 to get a solid picture of what God is like. Of course, we can go in the Gospels and look at the life and teachings of Jesus. We can go in the prophets and see God's commitment uh, to the people of God. But we're here in Galatians wandering through these marks, these qualities, these behaviors that are God's and are God's gift to us. Paul in chapter 5 is talking about two things I just read. He's talking about the first part of 16, 17, 18, 19. He's talking about the desires of the flesh. Say the word desires. He's talking about the works of the flesh, the desires of the flesh. Before he leaves us with the language about the fruit of the Spirit, which is the evidence of the Spirit, which is the proof that God is present in us. Before he talks about that fruit, he talks about the desires of the flesh. He warns us of these destructive and competing works of the flesh. These characteristics which are anti-spirit. He, he, he eventually talks about what it means to walk in step with the Spirit. But before he does that, he reminds these followers of Jesus, these people who have a history, they remember the laws that govern their lives. He's reminding them that there is not just what God offers, there is also what the enemies of God offers. They're against the Christian life, these desires of the flesh, these works of the flesh. They push and pull us in the opposite direction, away from lining up with the holy. For, for each of the fruit that, that Paul will talk about, uh, Christians and pastors and writers have, have over the centuries uh, not just highlighted the fruit, but also the primary sins or vices or desires works of the flesh in opposition to that fruit. So for uh, the five or ten minutes or so that I will spend with you, uh, we will talk about the fruit of the Spirit of goodness, the fruit of the Spirit of kindness, and their accompanying sins that compete with how we uh, pursue the fruit of God in our lives. Now, I've planned, like last week, to be shorter than longer. I just want you to know my intention, okay? First is kindness. Say the word kindness. Now, I haven't given a whole lot of hard definitions uh, for the uh, two or three weeks in the past, uh, partly because Paul doesn't really offer them, but I'll give some definition uh, today for the two pieces of fruit. Kindness, kindness, kindness has to do with putting the needs of others ahead of your own needs. Kindness has to do with putting the successes of others ahead of your own success. It has to do with putting someone else ahead of your own achievement. When Paul talks to these Christians about kindness, he is saying to them, uh, the quality of God and the quality that God expects from you is to put others ahead of yourself. 
there is something godlike about that, right? Placing the needs and successes of others before yourself. That is what God does in the entire redemption story. What Jesus Christ does, how Philippians uh, grasps the picture of Jesus coming to us, uh, leaving glory, leaving heaven in this majestic way in glory and descending, condescending, taking upon human flesh. He puts others first. Some of you have people in your life who, when I talk about kindness having to do with putting someone else first, comes to mind. They're Christians who come to mind. Maybe they're non-Christians who come to mind for you, who, when you think about someone who doesn't put their needs ahead of yours, people come to mind. For me, my mother comes to mind. For me, Mother Flowers comes to mind. For me, some of my mentors come to mind. When they call, when they're around me, I have a sense that I am more important than what they have in their life, right? And there may be people who come to mind for you. We're celebrating servants today in our church who have done this, who have taken part of their lives, part of their schedules, part of their, part of their days and said, I'm going to give, I'm going to put the needs of the church ahead of mine, I'm going to serve in this way. Putting others or putting another ahead. Uh, hosts in our church who serve in hospitality. Uh, people, you saw our children around the altar this morning who serve in children's ministry, small group leaders, ministry team leaders, putting uh, the needs of our church ahead of maybe their own schedules. And what scripture does is scripture names these kinds of behaviors as fruit, as evidence of God's presence. So there is kindness, uh, 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 and then there is this other opposing work. So you always have the work of God, but the work of God is not without the competing work of the flesh. So I think about the fruit of the Spirit, and for our purposes, um, I think about the poison or the toxin to the fruit. Right? You can think about sin. You can think about vice. This morning I'll think about toxin, just to give you a kind of metaphor. So there is fruit and it is kindness. The poison, the primary toxin of kindness in scriptural history is envy. Say the word envy. You didn't say it. Say it again. Say envy. Now, now, envy is not wanting others to have what they have. That's the negative way of talking about envy. The positive way of talking about envy is it is rejoicing at someone's misfortune or rejecting uh, someone else's prosperity. It is, it is rejoicing at someone else's downfall. It is rejoicing at someone else's detriment. It is rejoicing, uh, in a way, making joy when you see someone else stumble. It is being pleased by the fallings, the failures of others. Envy is, is, is rejecting someone else's advancement, someone else's promotion, someone else's success. It is, it is that uh, often unseen reaction when, when someone gets something, you say, oh, no, you reject that advancement, that success. And and and. and in us at all times are these kinds of fruit, uh, these evidences of God's presence, and these toxins. Might not be uh, envy and kindness, but in us at all times as we grow, as we live with God, as we live in relationship with God, is the work of God making us, the God is present with me, the Spirit of God is creating in me, and the opposing competitive work of the flesh. Kindness, envy. 
Envy is that quiet sin that we don't talk about, that we don't testify about, that we don't get up in the church and, 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 and advertise or announce. It's, it's, it's the quiet sin, but the quieter we are, the more that toxin covers our soul. In my house are uh, two plants. There are three plants in my house, but for this purpose, there are, three, there are two plants I'm thinking about. And they're relatively new plants. I've had very old plants, uh, plants that are as old as my marriage. I've been married uh, 13, 12, one of those numbers, years. And, uh, and I've had plants that long. And uh, recently, some of those plants uh, have decided to die. So I had to replace those plants. And um, plants die. Um, but I have to set it up that way so you don't think I just kill plants, okay? I take care of my plants. Um, so a, a couple months ago, I decided uh, after leaving my pots empty for a while, because, you know, I have, to, I have to grieve the loss of my plant. Twelve years. I mean, I, I, mean, I had this plant before I had my wife. You know, I got I to gotta, I gotta, I gotta have a moment with this, you know? So, so um, after a couple of months of... Um, not having plants in these two particular pots because one was already empty and one of my lilies died, one of my piece of lilies died. And so I went to the store and I, I looked around and chose two more house plants. And uh, my wife thought uh, it was me. Uh, and she still thinks it's me uh, because the short is these two plants didn't do well and they're not doing well right now. Um, and Dawn, who incidentally doesn't do anything with my plants, all of a sudden is interested in what I'm doing with my plants. Uh, and I'm not telling you anything I haven't told her in different ways. So, um, so, so you know, she takes interest. And I, I go get these plants. And I have a third plant, as I say, that is, is also relatively new. By that point, it was about six months old, this, this third plant. Uh, and it was a completely new plant to me, and um, I got it on my birthday, in fact, because my ber- it's a metaphor for me trying to nurture things in my life this year, right? And so this plant is a November plant, and it's at my desk at home, and these, these other two plants come into the house, and all three plants just go nuts. All three plants, immediately, like overnight, just go yellow. What's funny, Annette? What? <laughs> I'm a plant killer. Okay, that's not true. Uh, the devil is a liar. That's what they used to say uh, when I grew up. No. So, so, so that's why I set it up that way. And so, you know, I'm not a plant killer, right? So, 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 I, so I put these plants, these two new plants, and so immediately I'm thinking they don't like, they don't like each other, you know? They're talking to each other. They're... So I start talking to the plant. Now, I don't listen for what the plant has to say. For those of you who are going through the mental status evaluation for Pastor Michael, I'm, I'm not listening for what they have to say, but I'm talking to my plants, and I go through a kind of list of things you do when plants start doing badly. There are things that you do. You can look online for that list, right? So I go through seven or eight different things. I start what is essentially two or three weeks of trying to pay attention to this plant. And so uh, my wife eventually says... Um, Maybe there's something wrong with the dirt. I had thought about this. I 
I didn't tell her that one of the pots were completely new, uh, the, the dirt. Um, but, but her point was, maybe there's some toxin, something you can't control with stuff you spray on it, because you do spray things on it to try to, you know, you give it food. But um, maybe where the plant is, maybe where this gift of yours is, is um, compromised by where the plant is. And, and sometimes I think when it comes to the fruit of the Spirit, particularly of kindness and putting the needs of others ahead of our own, sometimes we're not as individual Christians, and it will go for the same, uh, for the same fruit of goodness too, we're not in a place, uh, we're, not, we're not established or rooted in the kinds of dirty places that will produce these Maybe we spend our our time in dirt for sure. Dirt, PJ. Who would want to do that? You know how it feels to put your fingers in dirt, right? But but the dirt is poison. Uh, that, 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 That kindness or goodness does not grow in us. Because the kinds of relationships we surround ourselves in are relationships that oppose the fruit of God, the works of the flesh, the desires of the flesh. So the relationships we're in may become uh, planters that create envy or the next which is greed and not allow us to be kind. Now, the second fruit is, uh, is goodness. Say that word. Say goodness. Now, I want you to be thinking about two things over the next few minutes. One, God and God's character. Because if God makes, uh, makes us to be kind, God has to be kind himself. If God makes us to be good, the Spirit of God has to himself be good. So I want you to be thinking about in your own life whether or not that's true, whether God is good. And depending on where you are, your answer could be unqualifiedly, no, God's not good. Some of you said things like that last week when we opened the floor and had some time of testimony. In a sense, struggling in the in-between stage of saying, I know God is good, and yet God isn't good to me. I know God is kind, and yet I don't feel the kindness of God. So I want you to be thinking about that. But the other thing I want you to think about as I talk a little bit about goodness and greed is the kinds of relationships that are in your life that make you more good, that make you gooder, uh, if I can put it that way, uh, that make you kinder. So goodness uh, and greed. Now, now, goodness is giving away unneeded things. The goodness is giving away unneeded things. There are uh, many ways to talk about goodness, but in terms of trying to give some justice to how Paul is packaging it with all these other fruit of the Spirit, here is a way to think about goodness. It is uh, generous. The nature of goodness is generosity. Now, it often feels good to uh, give away unneeded things because it is good to be generous and to give things away. Now, for some of us, the spirit of God's work around goodness is in convincing us that we have what we need already. 
For some of us, the Spirit of God's work has to be uh, uh, convincing us, if you will, persuading us that we have what we need. That is a spiritual work in progress. To believe in your heart that you have what you need. For others of us, the Spirit's work may be uh, 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 convincing us that giving, the act of giving, being good, doing goodness, uh, is a good thing. Some of us don't really believe that it's a good thing to give. Some of us really believe when we think about giving, it's painful. Some of us believe that giving and being generous, um, however that looks, is, is problematic. It's unnatural. The opposite of the work of God, the actual evidence of God's presence, it is not good. And the Spirit's work in some of us may be in trying to convince us by God's own grace that giving is good. And finally, um, maybe the Spirit has to convince some of us when it comes to goodness and when it comes to its opposing uh, act of greed that, um, that we that we actually need to give to be godly. Not that giving is just a good thing, but that it is a mark of godliness. It is one of those uh, behaviors like love, like joy, like peace, keeping peace, keeping these things in our lives, that without it actually excludes us from godlikeness. Being good is being large-hearted. The opposing work of the flesh here is greed. Now, I know Pastor Peter has talked about greed, and, um, and I always remember when I hear the word greed, how he puts it. When he says, nobody comes to the office to say, I'm greedy. This is my sin. Envy is the rejection of another person's growth. It's, a, it's, um, it's rejoicing at another person's failure. Greed, as you may know, is wanting more than you need. There are things in the world uh, that I don't understand. And one of the things in the world that I don't understand is why my son, who's three, gets to eat um, things that I can't eat. (laughs) My son's pediatrician says to me, this is a brilliant woman. You need to give him fatty foods, cholesterol-laden foods, give him cheese, you know, all this stuff. This is a little while ago. This is maybe about a year ago. And I'm sitting in the office, and I'm like, oh, she also says, you got to give him the bad stuff because she sort of knows I don't really eat that kind of stuff or I try not to eat it, so she's digging at me. And I look and I say, well... Where is he going to live? Like, who's going to buy his food? Who's going (laughs) to... And uh, she kind of did what you just did, because I was serious, because, you know, you you sort of get out of the habit of buying stuff you're not supposed to eat when your doctor, on the other hand, tells you what you cannot eat, right? So one of the things in the world I don't understand is why giving macaroni and cheese, my version, which has either three or five cheeses, is a good thing for my son and a bad thing for me. 
Now, Vivian can probably come up here and explain it to me because, you know, she's good at these kinds of things. My son's pediatrician is good at explaining these things. Uh, my doctor is good at explaining these things. It's just me. I don't understand it. I can't understand why what is necessary for Bryce would be greedy for me. What would be necessary for him is wanting more than I need. Envy is an outward sin. Envy is a sin of uh, external properties. It, it's, it's, a, it's a sin about you and other people. I don't like that you got the promotion. Congratulations. You know, with that sort of look, right? That's envy. Envy is, um, yeah, I guess you were qualified for what God gave you. Greed is internal to you. It has nothing to do with you. It has to do with me and my wanting more. And, and they're both really, really quiet sins. We get these mistakes where we talk about our enviness, and we make these mistakes and talk about greed, but we don't really testify about greed and envy. We don't get up in the microphone uh, and confess these things. We don't go to the dinner table and say to our spouses, that was really good for you, but I hate that it happened to you and not me. One early church father said of greed that, that, that it, is, it is going after future uncreated needs. That wanting more than you need is essentially going after something in the future that hasn't even been created yet. We who are greedy want what we don't have, what we don't need. So, so, so there, is, there is kindness and it's competitive work of envy. And there is goodness and this, which is generous, and this competitive work of the flesh, which is greed. What, what does this mean for us? What are we to do? Okay. So as I wrap up, I want to give you uh, some things to remember. I want to give you some things to do, and I want to give you some things to reflect upon. Okay. And you can find what you need here or uh, in the silence. Uh, that comes after. So things to remember. A couple things to remember, and I'll go through these relatively quickly. Number one, you aren't alone in these acts. So kindness and goodness is not a heart value. It is an act. It is not just a character trait. It is activity. You're not alone in the act of kindness or goodness. There is a God, again, who, who is kindness, who is goodness, who is acting kind, who is being good to you, to us, before you, before us. And so the way we become kind is by anchoring into the God who is only kind, who is good. You aren't alone. Number two, the seeds of uh, this fruit, the starts of these behaviors are in you by God's grace. If you are a follower of Christ, remember, Paul is not talking in an evangelistic way to people who don't know Jesus. He's talking to a, 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 a collection of believers. He is trying to say to them, God has already begun in you what God expects from you. He's, he's saying to them, don't stop being convinced of this in your life. 
He's encouraging them. And I want to encourage you this morning uh, that you who are pursuing these fruit, even when maybe uh, the plant leaves go yellow and not green, to try everything you can by the help and grace of God to get the right dirt, the right food, to pursue the fruit so that God can produce what is in seed form. Number three, the spirit produces what you give others. If you give others uh, a kindness, if you are good toward others, then what you are doing is taking what God has placed in you and giving it away. I am not a farmer. I don't know how this works. I don't know if this is really true. So just say it's homiletical. It's sermonic, right? This is probably wrong uh, and that's okay too. Not really, but sort of, okay? So this is, a, this is a preaching device that I know might not be right. So, so think about, <laughs> so what's the point, you say? Um, think, about, think about how uh, in a field, and I, there are probably people who have say this better. I wish Joel was here, Dan. He probably kind of preached this point. You've got, you've got a plant, and this is a metaphor. I told you, the fruit is a metaphor, so don't, you don't want to put too much value in the mess-ups that Michael makes. So you have a fruit, you have seeds, you have growth, and you have this plant in the wind, and you have seeds because of the wind and the rain being scattered all over the rest of the grassy neighborhood. You have seeds going in the dirt all over the place. And eventually, because that plant that grew up is giving away itself, giving away its seed in other places, other plants grow. Is that halfway right? That's exactly what God does when you give away kindness then. It's exactly what God does when you are good and generous. What ends up happening is not necessarily in the relationship in which you gave it. God creates in the people you give goodness to goodness. You're not the only container of goodness, right? So so if God creates goodness in you and you give that God-created goodness away, God makes other people because of you generous. Now, think about the competing work of the flesh as well. If you give away enviness, then the competing work is still at work. The anti-kingdom is still productive. So, so, so Christian, not even non-Christian, but Christian, what are you giving away? Because the spirit produces the spirit, a spirit. Number three, I mean, uh, number next, uh, things to do. Uh, number next, Lord have mercy. Uh, things to do. Here are a couple of things to do. Teach yourself to be grateful for everything. Teach yourself to be grateful for everything. Uh, I mentioned the prayer of examine last week and gave you that. And how many of you uh, remember that and did some of that work last week? Raise your hand, raise your hand. Okay, nobody. All right, well, oh, no, I saw, I saw a hand. There's one, there's two. There's three. Okay. Um, Part of the prayer of examine is looking at what happened in the day, right? Looking and saying, what actually happened? And when I say teach yourself to be grateful, I'm thinking about generosity. I'm thinking about how to foster uh, goodness in our own lives. But one of the ways to do that is to look at our lives and to say, this happened. I'm thankful for this part of what happened. And to say as much as possible for everything that God has given us, I am thankful for it or I'm grateful for it. 
What that does is it changes your expectations for how God will bless you. If you look toward everything God gives and push yourself to try to find gratitude in it, even if it's not ultimately there, if you're looking to be thankful, you will become generous. Number two, tell yourself no to things and yes to things. I'm not going to talk too much about this because I think the spirit of the fruit and the spirit of the competing vices speak for themselves. But there are certain sins, there are certain behaviors that we need to say no and yes to. And that's what your prayer needs to be. That's what my prayer needs to be. In your small group, maybe uh, talking about things and somebody ultimately asks you, Michael, are there things in what you're talking about that you need to start saying no to? Are there things you need to say yes to? Number three, uh, pray for a person whose needs God uses you to meet. Again, this has to do with putting the needs and successes of others ahead of your own. This has to do with going right at envy. How do you reform yourself from being envious? You have God send you somebody who you are designed to bless, to be good to, to love. Maybe this isn't a prayer you want to pray. But maybe this is God's plan to put somebody in your life who you are especially suited to minister to. Number four, uh, and then a couple things to reflect. Uh, greet each other with different questions. I, 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 I think there is something essentially Christian with asking one another. Now, this might sound uh, corny or churchy or I don't know, something like that. But I think there is something worth aspiring toward in this suggestion. Uh, you know how we ask each other, how you doing? There's something Christian about saying, uh, how are you loving? Are you being good? Where's the joy in your life? Now, that's not necessarily an in-passing question that you ask, but there's something really solidly biblical about it. We used to, uh, uh, growing up, we say, how you living? Not how you living, but how you living. This is sort of a way of getting at this same, is, is there fruit or evidence in your life? I think that's a question you need to ask me and I need to ask you. I think we need the permission in each other's life to say, you've become really greedy over the last three months, and I don't know if you're aware of it. Finally, things to reflect upon. And I'm drawing these from Howard Thurman, uh, from his Meditations uh, of the Heart. Howard Thurman is a uh, dead now, Christian mystic and writer. Uh, and he, he raises uh, questions, and this one is in Meditations, and, and I'm pulling from him. Uh, the first is, uh, what is the end of your doing? What, what's the end to which you're going after? Um, what direction are you headed in? Because if you're headed in the direction of Christ-likeness, then the opposing direction will be a whole lot stronger against you. But you'll also be able to tell the real fruit in your life because scripture is not unclear. Number two, uh, where do you put your emphasis? So reflect on uh, your emphasis. Now, where do you put your focus. Where do you put your emphasis? These, again, are just reflection questions for you. Uh, maybe this week, maybe uh, this day. Number three, uh, for what do you make sacrifices? What do you care about? I know that there are people who don't really care 
about goodness this morning. Maybe you care about something else. And what is it that you care about? What is it that uh, you sacrifice for? And finally, your desires. What do you want? Paul says something in the scripture passage. He says uh, to keep you uh, the, 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 the works, the desires of the the flesh are against the desires of the spirit rather are against the flesh for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do that's verse 18 of chapter 5 what do you want to do to what are you true in Thurman's way of us this this afternoon we pray um, that as we leave this place uh, that that we would go after your presence that we would go after your spirit after your power we pray that you give us grace to live well this week to be kind to be good to look to you for all of our help because our help comes from you I want to thank you for the men and women of this church those who have served those who we will celebrate at this luncheon I pray blessings for the people that brought us the food and blessings upon the meal that it would uh, nourish us, strengthen us to live longer and better for you. New community, visitors and friends, live this week a good life, a kind life, uh, and may God be in front of you every step of the way. Have a great week, everybody.